0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports
1: Nightly. Lejeune, in at quarterback from Maryland, looking at third and nine out with 30-yard line. Lejeune gets the snap, gets hit, dropped. Oh, what a sack. Big time hit by Jojo Doman, back at the 21-yard line. Doman's second sack of the year. Now,
0: let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin.
1: Well, if you love baseball, today's been a great day, right? And I, and I know a lot of traditionalists are having a hard time this week with all these teams in the playoffs and three-game wildcard series. I've had a blast the last couple days, Ben McLaughlin. This has been a it's been a hoot flipping around from game to game to game.
2: Yeah, I have loved it, and I've been looking forward to this day for a while. Yesterday was a good tease, you know, with just the American League, and obviously today everybody going. Um Yeah, this was great. And, and, you know, baseball purists, I think you have to be a little flexible this year, given the circumstances. So nothing about this year has been normal. So I I don't see why people have the need to to complain about all the action today when, you know, it's just hard to, uh, you know, hard to have any kind of normalcy with the with the year that we've had. So, no, zero issues with it whatsoever. It's been awesome. Yeah, I'm with you. I follow quite a few
1: baseball writers, and they're like, enough of this. This is awful good. Why? Isn't more baseball better than less baseball? I mean, I just don't don't get why you would think this is such a bad deal. Maybe if you're the Twins, you don't like it because you you got beat at home two straight by the Astros, and you're done before October. Uh, And my goodness, and I texted Josh this earlier today, Josh, big Twins fan. I go, "I, I cannot believe. That franchise has lost that many playoff games in a row. That is – it's one of the most amazing streaks in the history of sports. I mean, this is baseball and good teams, and you have to be good to make the playoffs. Even this year, you got to be fairly good. You you shouldn't lose that many in a row. That's
2: crazy. I feel like that franchise is just rocked. You know, it's just – you know, you get stung like that so many times. And, you know, we see this a lot of times in sports, not just, you know, with playoffs, but you know, now Now the narrative of, you know, Lamar Jackson can't beat Mahomes. You know, this narrative begins to happen with players, with teams, with coaches, with whatever. Tom Osborne couldn't win the big one, you know. And whenever that narrative is spout off, that snowball begins to roll down the hill. And every time that you get another one of those situations – it feels like it becomes harder and harder to, to win, you know. that For the longest time, the Chiefs couldn't win a home playoff game. You know, whatever it is, like, there seems to be these trends in sports, and then every time there's that opportunity, it seems like it becomes harder and harder to do, right? I mean, baseball is a game in which you play a bunch of games. You're going to win some. It's just the, the nature of the, you know, the nature of the beast with uh, – with how baseball works, you're going to win one. But the fact that the Twins have been told, you know, this is a uh, this is a long time since you guys want a playoff game. There's no doubt it's in it's in the players' minds. It's in everybody around that that clubhouses' minds. And yeah, it's a it's it's crazy to me that 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 that's happened. I can't imagine how Twins fans are feeling right now. I mean, I can, but um, just an utter unbelievable streak to be honest that they just they, yeah. they can't find a way to win one and and both games were close you know you, the, the, yesterday went down to the ninth inning and you know today um it, it never was you know a blowout in any sense they had they had a chance to come back but yeah just really a tough tough spot to be in if you're minnesota and and you know they're a couple of team, other teams around here. Imagine how Reds fans are feeling right now. You get a franchise Ooh. record twelve strikeouts from Trevor Bauer in your start. He's been brilliant this year, and you can't score him one run, and and you lose. So, yeah, it, it's tough day for Twins fans. There's no question about it. it. It's um really the Reds had
1: so many opportunities to score in that game against the Braves, and that'll be hard for them to come back, I think, losing that one today to Atlanta. Freddie Freeman with the game-winning hit there. The Rays are about to dust off the Blue Jays. It's 8-2 in the ninth, so you're going to have a couple of sweeps today in the American League, the Astros and the Rays. The Cardinals up 6-3 in the fifth. They've got rain problems in Cleveland for game two of the Yankee series with the Indians. And then later tonight, the night game, the Dodgers hosting the Brewers. We'll talk with our Major League Baseball insider, Lane Grendel, coming up in hour number two, get his take on the last couple of days, and obviously the Brewers being in the playoffs. It was announced about an hour ago that the National League Championship Series, which will be held at the new ballpark in Arlington, and the World Series, which will be held at the new ballpark in in Arlington, they're going to allow fans. They're going to sell 11,000 tickets per game. That'll be about 25% capacity of that Globe Life Park in Arlington. So for the NLCS and the World Series, you will have fans. That will really be a big help, I think, to all of this. But the, the American League Championship Series, which will be at Petco Park in San Diego, will not. Uh, different state restrictions in California to Texas. So in the NLCS, yep, you'll have fans. World Series, yep, you're going to have fans. But the AL playoffs moving forward, no fans at all. But I think that's really going to be great to have fans uh, for the NLCS and the World Series. Again, that just came down uh, within the last hour from Major League Baseball. All right, here's what we have coming up on the program tonight. Another edition of the Husker Huddle with Jeremiah Searles. He's going to talk to another one of his former teammates, Cole Pensick. Love when the old offensive linemen start chattering away together. That'll be great to to hear both of those guys uh, converse. Then we will hear some clips as a couple of Husker basketball players met some media members today. Kobe Webster and Teddy Allen both got a chance to talk about how workouts have been going, how they're uh, getting used to each other. What kind of leadership roles are developing already for Oscar Hoops? We'll hear some clips from them. Mention hour number two, Lane Grindle, will be here. We'll also continue our reports of around the Big Ten tonight. We focus in on the Michigan Wolverines. So looking forward to hearing from Angelique Shangelis from the Detroit News. One of my questions is going to be about the young McCaffrey. Um, Dylan McCaffrey transferring out of Michigan just a couple of weeks ago, opting to hit the transfer portal Going to get the skinny on that. Apparently he did not win the starting quarterback's job or wasn't going to win the starting quarterback's job and has opted to leave. Uh, and that's a little blow to Michigan's talent and depth at the quarterback position, but we'll talk Michigan football with her. Bysell comes back in hour number three, and we're ready to drop another edition of our Husker Sports Properties originals. Tomorrow we'll play you a little clip of what this new edition is. I think you're going to enjoy this one. An awful lot. So that's what we have here on the show tonight. Phone lines always open and available for you at 531-546-86. That also doubles up as our U.S. Cellular text line. Again, 531-546-86 brought to you by U.S. Cellular. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers U.S. Cellular Connecting Husker Nation. And Ben, in just a couple of hours, game one of the NBA finals. How intrigued or... Not, are you with the Lakers-Heat
2: matchup? I mean, I'm definitely intrigued. I, you know, this is where usually the, the conference finals where it starts to get, to me, must-watch TV. Um, I can, I'm okay with doing without parts of the NBA playoffs. I'm just not super into the NBA. I, I, I love the finals. I love, you know, the, the conference finals even to a certain degree but this is where to to me I'll sit down I'll I'll watch the whole game and I'm intrigued to see how Miami can hang how they match, match up with AD and LeBron and you know can they continue to you know bring parts to the to the game that you know give the Lakers problems you know guys like Tyler Hero and uh you know Bam and some, they're going to need some help it's not just going to be Jimmy buckets out there they're going to need some help out there um you know group efforting this thing against a, a really strong L.A. team. So, yeah, I'm excited to see it, and I, and I will watch. I will watch as much as I possibly can tonight. Lakers are, are heavy favorites to win the title with LeBron and AD and and the whole
1: cast. Uh, the Heat, though, have certainly been a bit of a surprise, and again – Tip of the cap to Austin Orman, who a couple of weeks ago in the playoffs began, said, keep an eye on the Heat. I don't know that he was necessarily picking the Heat to get this far, but he said, keep an eye on the Heat. And they have certainly played some great basketball as they've made their way through the playoffs. It has gone final in Tampa. The Rays are moving on. They beat the Blue Jays 8-2. to So Tampa, who uh, is my pick to get to the World Series um, wins two fairly easy games over the Blue Jays to move on. On our text line, got a guy who says, I'm an average Major League Baseball fan, but really like the playoffs. I think the three-game wild cards are awesome and make it better. Never understood the one-game thing. One game determines your whole season. So there's one fan's opinion on our text line there today. All right, that's what we have here on the program tonight. First day in pads for the Huskers today, Ben. We didn't have any media availability after the practice today. We did yesterday hearing from the defensive coaches. We will hear from the offensive coaches tomorrow. But I bet I bet the uh, the tempo, I bet the, uh, the energy level was pretty high. First time you put those pads on, you can hear some popping of those things
2: out on a practice field. No doubt. And look, it's, it's always a a juice day. First, first day of pads. I mean, it was that, it's been that way since you played peewee football. The first time you get those pads on, you know, it kind of kind of separates some people, you know, those that want to hit want to be physical and those that kind of shy away from it. And it's exciting. These guys haven't put pads on since November and you better believe there is a little bit of juice, you know, out there on the practice field today, um, having those things strapped up and, uh, and and banging some bodies against each other so yeah without a doubt probably a little more gas at the practice field today knowing uh what was about to come i I i'd have to imagine it's a pretty physical day out there might be some sore bodies tomorrow i bet
1: there are i bet the cold tub got a little bit of a workout today after practice and then uh again you know it's it's pretty much it's it's basically the august camp is going on now and so The tough thing for the guys is that when you start that August camp every year, you don't have school going on at the same time. So now you're into this and classes are going on and you're kind of hitting the mid part of a semester. So this isn't the time you can let your foot off the gas for your classwork. So this will be a this will be but I'm sure the guys are excited to do it. Uh, they've been waiting for this time for a long, long time. And as Scott Frost told us last week when he was with us, they haven't had the pads on since they walked off the field against Iowa on Black Friday uh, last year. That's a long, long time from that date to here on September the 30th. All right, that's what we have here on the program tonight. Lots of other things that we'll get into as we make our way through the next couple of hours. Glad you're with us here on Sports Sportsonic. When we come back, Jeremiah Searle sits down for this week's edition of the Husker Huddle. That's next.
3: Welcome back to another edition of Husker Huddle here at the Husker Sports Network. I'm your host, Jeremiah Searles. Today we are joined by fellow Pipeline member who was here with me when I've had my tenure here. Second team All-Big Ten while his senior year here, he played center, he played guard, his dad played here. And we're joined by no one other than Cole Penzick. Cole, how are you, my friend? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we always like catching up with former Huskers here on Husker Huddle and seeing what life has been doing for them and how life has been treating them. So what have you been up to since you left and graduated back here in 2013?
4: Uh, tried, uh, had a little tryout with Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, unfortunately, uh, did not work out uh, the way I would have hoped um as you can probably attest careers usually don't end when you really <laughs> want them to yes. um but uh, work for a company called fairbank equipment uh based out of wichita kansas got a store in grand island outside traveling and salesman forum uh selling fertilizer equipment uh nurse trailers dry spreaders anything to do with the agronomy side to the farming world
3: that's awesome. So, do you live? Uh, you live out in Columbus now, correct?
4: I do. Uh, just about uh, nine, ten miles south of Columbus, I uh, live in a little cul-de-sac on an acre. Um, my wife, uh, she's a CNA at uh, retirement nursing home in Columbus, and we've got a two-year-old black lab.
3: Mm, very nice. Well. One thing I've been catching up with everyone as is these last few months have been wild. It's flipped a lot of people's worlds upside down. Some people for it's given opportunities. Other people it has been really hard with the whole COVID pandemic thing going on. How have you and your wife been able to handle this? And kind of how have you had to maybe shift some things as this all went down?
4: Um, You know, early on, it it, uh, it was so much unknown. And there's still to this day a lot of unknown. but just not wanting me to bring anything home or have her bring anything home and then take it to my job, her job. Uh, We did spend about 14 days away from each other. Um, Just initially she kind of come down with a little bit of a respiratory issue. Unfortunately, it was negative. But uh, as far as work on my end, um, farming world never slowed down. Um, I mean, it was, right during planting or getting ready for planting pre-spray so the need to get equipment and parts out um, uh, was definitely still there Um, just the communication might have been a little bit different as far as uh, setting it outside parking it um, away from everyone and then once i leave they would go uh, grab it and uh, deal with however they needed to handle it
3: that's crazy. I mean, it seems the, like that was just how everyone that was successful in this times adapted to it. It sounds like you guys had your own fair share of adapting to it as well. So let's talk a little bit about some adapting that I remember you having to do when here. We're here at Nebraska. So like I said, Cole came in as a defensive lineman actually when we were freshmen here in 2009 and then switched over became a very successful offensive lineman for us here. But I want you to talk a little bit about how that adaptation from D-line to O-line went because there's a guy on this offensive line that is very intriguing to me. His last name is Banks. He came in as a defensive lineman. And he's now made the shift to offensive line, which I told him he was going to do the first time I met him. He's a big, tall, white guy, and he's like, "No, I'm going to play defensive line." I was like, "No, you're not." But he had to make that shift. And so, what were some of the things that, for you, were struggles, or some of the things that really carrying over some of that D-line mentality to the offensive line helped you excel?
4: Oh, I think uh, you know when we first were there, um, we had uh, Indama and Sue on the other side, so. Uh, Just sitting in meeting room, watching him, listening to him, you kind of learned a little more behind the scenes of thought process of a D-lineman. Now, when things are hot and heavy, uh, probably not going through that recall of memory, but uh, just being there and kind of learning, you get that muscle memory of, well, if I was the D-lineman, this is how I'd do it, and you kind of can almost – uh, adapt to it or you, you almost feel it coming before they even really know it's uh, they're, once they're going to do it themselves mm. um, but you know adapting um, I think the biggest thing for me moving over to the O-line was uh, not so much learning uh, the, the playbook uh, schemes this and that it was learning to snap the ball and block at the same time <laughs> uh as i had uh, never done that before um fortunately had uh, a great supporting cast uh, although uh hard at times uh, but with uh, mike caputo uh, jacob hickman john garrison and uh, coach cotton uh, i mean it really probably overanalyzed the whole snapping of a football um to get to where uh you you want to be uh in an offense that primarily use the shotgun but uh you know it's just one of those uh when you need to adapt uh, a supporting cast is always uh beneficial um and most of uh close tight-knit group i was already tight with you guys on the o-line uh i know early on always like to Give you a hard time about the d-line o-line uh, but then i ended up myself one but uh um yeah you know it was uh, struggles up in the early stages um adapting um just kind of switching over the the you know concept of just your stance in general is different um and then having to snap the ball um, compared to watching the ball so
3: I mean you bring up a great thing in the snap and it seems that every game I've watched from NFL college there's always an error snap there was a lot this weekend I know the Vikings had a really bad one that might have cost them the football game but last year here in Lincoln big issue with the snap with Adrian Martinez having to almost jump every time for the snap and I mean now we're hoping that uh, Cam Jurgens can get the snaps back on track even with the kind of derailed offseason a little bit here but what is it that makes snapping a football so difficult? Because it's not the actual act. I've I've played center before. You played it much longer than I actually did. But is it is it the the idea of oh man, don't mess up the snap, or is it more along the lines of I gotta block this guy while I snap? Like what is it that makes snapping a football so difficult at times?
4: Well, I think once you've uh, had those moments in uh, in the practice. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, to, to my uh, knowledge as of right now, and I could be corrected, I don't recall having, I might have had a low snap, but I don't think I ever had anything go behind the quarterback. Um, but it does, I mean, it is a mental, uh, um, you know, it, it gets on you. Coaches are screaming at you, and <laughs> uh, for, for camp's sake, you, you hear 90,000 people mm-hmm. also, but um, uh, expressing their displeasure with uh, <laughs> uh, bad snaps. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the mental aspect to it can wear on you. But, you know, uh, yourself playing it, I mean, you've got so many different, you know, compared to a pass, a, a inside run, outside run. Uh, if you have to pull, you know, the, the motion of throwing the ball between your legs is the same. But when you're trying to reach a guy that might be Uh, you know, an inside technique or uh, whatever, um, it it takes the muscle memory to to do that. Um, And at the time, uh, I didn't, wasn't a huge fan of it, Um, (laughs) but looking back, uh, just the before practice snaps, the during practice snaps, the after practice snaps, the the thousands of snaps that you end up taking, it just becomes that muscle memory. But Uh, you know, Cam experiencing uh, moving from a position that he's never snapped before to that, uh, you know, it's going to take time for him to get comfortable. Um, And with uh, being game day and I'm sure pressure from coaches and at at times uh, I'm sure players are probably expressing, hey, let's get this ball under control he's probably putting a lot of pressure on himself mm-hmm. to get it corrected. And that can have a negative effect as well.
3: Absolutely. I, that's really that's really tough. I think that the mental aspect of it, people understand, is almost 90% of it when it comes to snapping a football. That's for sure. Cole, before we let you get out of here, man, we got to talk a little bit about this Husker offensive line. I mean, I know you watch both D-line and O-line being a former defensive lineman. but. I think that the offensive line, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, are going to be a strength this year for this team. I think this might be the first year that there's two NFL players that could get drafted this year in Brendan Hymas and Matt Farniak on an offensive line together for Nebraska since probably our class, where it was you, myself, Quali, Spencer, Andrew Rodriguez, like some names that had chances to play in the NFL at the next level. What do you think about this offensive line going into the season?
4: Oh, I've got uh, utmost uh, positive thoughts that uh, you can. I mean, over the last, um, you know, let's be honest with everyone, Uh, our O line has uh, suffered over (laughs) the last, call it five years. Um, They haven't. what we as former pipeline, uh, you know that pipeline that Nebraska's uh, been proud of over the years, um, and I think uh, Scott Frost has done uh, a, a great job of getting that talent, that attitude. Because um, as an o lineman, you do have to have uh, you know uh, that kind of you have to have that mentality. It's um, uh, not just being a collective talented group you have to have kind of a persona about you Um, and no matter uh, offense defense special teams O-line has to be the most collective uh, group Uh, you're five um, and you have to work together if you don't work together um, well then the offense um, is not going to be as successful Um, but I, I think with Cam at the, at the helm, captain in it, uh, he's going to improve because um, I'm sure, although lack of spring ball, I'm sure he's been practicing mm-hmm. the snapping. Um, but, you know, everyone's going to be a year older, um, and he just got that experience underneath them. And I think, truthfully, the sky's the limit with what they can do this year.
3: Absolutely. Well, Cole, we really appreciate you coming on here on Husker Huddle. It's always great catching back up with you. We need to get together here soon, as soon as things start normalizing, and you and I need to get us, have a nice morning coffee and a duck blind here coming up this month.
4: I, I, can, I can handle that with some good duck blind breakfast. I appreciate your, you having me on the show.
3: Absolutely. Thanks again for, for joining us here on Husker Huddle and the Husker Sports Network. We'll see you next week. There is it is,
1: Cole Pensick with Jeremiah Searles. Great uh, conversation between a couple of offensive linemen. Always love those conversations. Welcome back. Sports Highland here on a Wednesday night. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin with you. 531-500-4686. The number if you want to dot us up with a comment or question or fire us off a text. We are from uh, some of the football guys yesterday after their practice. Today couple of members of the men's basketball team ben were made available to the media two of the new guys
2: on this fred hoiberg team yeah i feel like uh, new guys is a label we can pretty much slap on uh, you know every group of player that speaks uh, just just about all of them are new once again but these are actual two first-year players for the big red coming by way of transfer and teddy allen being the first to speak today with members of the media over a zoom call and kind of addressed the media and let everybody know what potentially this team, this group of Huskers, will be known for.
5: Well, I think we're definitely going to be known for um, our pace, hopefully how we shoot the ball. Um, But uh, I feel that we can disrupt teams mightily with our length. We're we're a really big team for college. um, So I just noticed, you know, this like myself, like adjusting, playing with these guys and just seeing like, wow, like it's kind of hard to move around against this team. Like we're a big team, big, uh, we have a lot of length. So I think uh, our pace along with our size and skill could, um, could mess teams up.
2: And I think, Greg, when we talk about size with this team, it isn't necessarily seven-footer, six-foot-ten, it's what Teddy was talking about in the length. You know, guys like Delano Banton himself, you know, they're really long. will remind you a little bit uh, of the team that, that Coach Miles had in 2015 with JPJ and um, with Isaac and with Roby, you know, just how long those guys were. I think you might see a little bit of that in terms of length this, this year, which is going to make Doc Sadler's job a little easier on the defensive end of the floor. Absolutely. I'll add one more
1: name to that. The guys that have a lot of length and that's Latin Mayen. He's another guy that is going to be six, eight, but can shoot the three and is really going to stretch the defense. There's going to be a lot of options. I mean, Fred Hoiberg going to, if there's nights a and B aren't hitting, he's got CD and E ready to go that can, can, can take over the scoring load a little
2: bit for this team. That's going to be what's intriguing to me about this group. With the team getting ready to start practice, the offseason just wrapping up, Teddy Allen also spoke to the work ethic of this year's bunch.
5: Honestly, uh, the whole team, you know, for instance, we were off. I think it was last week. Um, Yeah, we was off for a week and nobody nobody was not in the gym. We was all in the gym. We all had like, I'll talk to the managers um, and be like, yeah, who's coming in today? because I come in in the morning and they have a schedule for the whole day of everybody coming in and getting their work in. And it's been like that from the get go, you know, we was in quarantine, guys were itching to get on the court and it hasn't stopped at all since. Um, We've been lucky. uh, We've been following all the right precautions. So we've been able to keep our practices going. And I really think you guys are taking advantage and living in the gym. And hopefully you all should be able to see that on full display.
2: I appreciate Teddy saying that because you know there were a lot of things and and unknown variables that were happening around other sports. Not much of it was talked about with hoops, and you know with these guys being so new and haven't really played together. Teddy being one of them, um, Teddy Allen is going to be a huge part to this team. I mean, he this is a young man with all the skill in the world, tremendous shooting ability, and the thing that I may be most impressed with. Uh, with Teddy and this applies to our next speaker as well is their off the floor role and their leadership Uh, to have two first-year guys come in and want to embrace that role uh, not entirely dissimilar to what we saw from Hanif Cheatham um, you know this past season you know Teddy's a guy who's been through the ringer and you know it's it's not surprising that he's already developed the role that he's had with this team and um, you know, proud of him for getting up and, and speaking to the media today, and it's something he's going to have to do quite a bit if that's a, a role that he wants to accept. Um, you know, talking in front of uh, media, in front of Zoom calls is going to be something that's, that's quite popular, as it will be for Kobe Webster, a newcomer transfer into the program, a point guard, um, also wants to be a part of the leader. What has he done to help develop himself into that mold as a team leader?
6: I think it started, you know, early when we got here in June. Uh, Like you said, as one of the seniors on the team, I think I tried to establish myself um, as a leader, whether it's on the court or off the court. So, you know, like you said, with the whole Black Lives Matter thing, that's something I feel passionate about. So I felt the need, you know, to speak up about that. Um, In terms of on the court, you know, Hoyberg, Coach Hoyberg has, you know, given me that that chance to be vocal, um, have the opportunity to, to really put guys in the, in the positions and obviously being a point guard, that's kind of just my personality. You know, I like I like being able to kind of control the traffic or whatever and, um, you know, just make sure guys are in the right positions on the court, being able to talk to guys, um, understanding how guys are, are taking certain things, you know, whether I have to talk to this guy a certain way or talk to him a different way. Um, so, yeah, I think But being here in June uh, definitely helped. You know, we got out here earlier than most schools. So I, was, uh, I had the chance to get to know everybody um, over the past three, three and a half, four months, um, and that's definitely helped.
2: Kobe's another guy, too, that, and I admire that so much because I've seen so many times, Greg, and it doesn't even really matter the sport where those newcomers like to kind of sit back for that first year, let things play out, get their feeling, um, seen it in football a ton, see it in baseball a ton where we don't even really feel like we get to know them very well until their, their second year on campus. And that's why I have so much admiration for guys like Teddy and, and, and Kobe Webster. I mean, Kobe, as he said, he's a senior, and he doesn't have necessarily that grace period to where he can dip his toe in the water and slowly let his personality come out. And I would agree, getting here in June was a huge help for that. He's going to be this year's Hanif Cheatham as far as
1: the kind of the, the guy that represents the team a lot. You can already tell that in just a couple of months on campus for him. And you're right. He knows that clock is ticking on his career. He has one more go around, and that's why he opted to jump into that senior transfer portal because he wanted to give it a go at the Big Ten level after being a star at Western Illinois. It would have been easy just to finish off and become a legend at that school. But he wants to test himself against the best, and the Big Ten is the best right now in the country as far as it goes for college basketball. So, He's going to be a guy that I think you're going to see that gathers the team on the court during free throw shootings. I, he's just going to be that guy that kind of controls his team. I think.
2: Really looking forward to getting to know this young man and you know his story and um, you know wanting to come have an impact on on a place before his college career is over. Uh, we talked a lot a little bit about it already with with Teddy Allen about potential strengths of this team. You know, with Coach Hoiberg and his coaching style, pace shooting going to be one of them. But in the eyes of the point guard, Kobe Webster, uh, what could this team be best at uh, as a unit moving forward?
6: Shooting the ball for sure. Uh, we have a lot of weapons. I think our pace—that's uh, something that Coach Hoiberg preaches every day. Our pace is, is definitely going to be there, um, and I think that's going to contribute to you know a lot of open shots for the weapons that we do have. Uh, as the point guard, you know, it's my job to push the pace. So. Um, you know I, I'm able to find guys in transition um, and then the pace we play with you know in the half court um, whether we're running a play or a different set um, I think the the way we sprint to screens, the sprint to cuts um, whatever the case may be that's going to lead to a lot of open shots and we have so many weapons on the court um, whether it's you know three-point shooters um, slashers guys that are athletic can go get a, a lob whatever the case may be um, we have plenty of weapons and I think you know the pace that we play with and the fact that we can we can shoot the ball is definitely going to contribute to some success
2: if that's not a point guard speaking i don't know what is uh-huh. i mean that is that is point guard language spewing out right there <laughs> absolutely I, I just i can't wait to watch these guys just to see and and i've had some people
1: around the big ten go all right what do you what do you think and i'm like there's a big there's been an upgrade in talent for the old huskers uh now how can they can they come together can they find their roles? Can, can all that work? That's to be determined. But there's some talent on this basketball team. I am so impressed with co- what coach, Ho- coach Hoiberg and his staff have done. And Kobe's going to be, I think, again, the star- the straw that kind of stirs the drink for this team. Good stuff.
2: Yeah. I'm excited to see the guys that we already expected to see this year, right? Derek Walker and Delano Banton, mm-hmm. Shamil Stevenson. I mean, those guys by themselves are enough to get me excited. Then you throw you know, a guy like Teddy Allen who – you know, I've been told by people that have watched him play that he is an NBA player. I mean, if, if he can get the other parts to what, be, what being a pro is all about under control, that guy's talent is good enough to let him play in the NBA. And then you throw in, you know, a, a, an experienced point guard and Kobe Webster who plays a ton of minutes. I'm with you. I think this team is, has some sneaky good potential going to be fun. Now let's get that schedule put together and see what, what's going to
1: happen with, with Husker Hoops. I mean, tomorrow's October 1st. We're two weeks away, Ben, for them starting full-time practice with that November 25th launch date for the college basketball season. It will get here in a hurry. Tonight we continue our reports around the conference. Tonight,
0: we take a look around the Big Ten Conference. Brought to you by Sinclair Oil Gasoline and Oil Products. Fill up your life and your vehicle with DinoCare, Sinclair's top-tier gasoline.
1: Fields, looks, throws, middle of the field, toward
7: the end zone, touchdown, Olave! 27-yard, 20, 20, 10, touchdown, touchdown, Olave!
0: night they give the ball to
7: charbonnet he dodges a guy at the one and jumps into the end zone touchdown michigan
0: the michigan wolverines
1: here to talk to us about the wolverines angelique Shingalis from the detroit news always a pleasure to have her on board with us here today hey we got football coming our way how surprised are the folks in michigan that the big 10 reverse course
8: well i think everybody is is surprised but but happily so and and i know that the, the nebraska parents and certainly the players who filed suit were so invested in this but so were the michigan parents and you know they got very aggressive and sending letters and making demands and you know who knows how much that swayed things but i can tell you the parents are happy and uh, there's no doubt the the players and the coaches are happy i mean seriously no one really talked that much about the the coaches and and i you know spoke to a few of them during those weeks and saying, we just want to coach. We just want to coach. They don't know what else to do in September and October and and the rest of the fall. So I think everybody's overjoyed.
1: Yeah. I think the last time we, we spoke, the the Wolverines had kind of a a little parade or a little rally that Jim Harbaugh marched with the students to try to, to get some attention around Ann Arbor for this. Let's uh, let's talk about where this team is right now. What's, are they into the pad part of it today? I guess was one of the days that maybe everybody could go to pad practices.
8: Yeah, they were supposed to start today. We spoke to Don Brown, Michigan's defensive coordinator, today, and uh, you know, look, I think everybody—you write a lot of positive articles in the preseason leading up to a season, and I think that's that's pretty much across the board. And and people are sending me messages like, "Stop hyping these guys. Stop it. Stop it." And <laughs> and you know, it's hard. It's hard not to when the coaches are, are raving about these guys. And Don Brown did the same again today I mean this defense I think will be the strength of the team and I think when you look up front you got Aiden Hutchinson and Pay, and and you got Carlo Kemp back in the middle and you know I think they've got very good linebackers they lost a uh a corner in Amber Thomas but they feel really good about Dax Hill, the freshman last year the the five star and and Don Brown was saying today he could really play anywhere and, and there's a, a shot that he uh he might play a corner so um, you know, listening to the coaches, Josh Gattis last week, their offense coordinator, you know, you think that uh, they, they, they feel really good about where this team is right now. But, you know, they haven't been in pads since, since January 1. So it, it's hard to say where this team is right now. You know, well, let's go to
1: offense. And the one bit of news I know you've had the last couple of weeks is, is Dylan McCaffrey, the quarterback, whose younger brother is on the Nebraska roster, has put his name in the transfer portal. What, what's happened at quarterback for Michigan?
8: Well, it's going to be really interesting, Greg. I mean, it, it, I thought it would be a Joe Milton-Dill McCaffrey battle. I, everybody thought that, and I was really looking forward to to that competition. And, and Dylan, as you said, has decided to opt out, and he's going to get his degree uh, in, by uh, December at Michigan and then have two years uh, where he can play somewhere else. And I don't know what, what he's thinking about in terms of uh, future destination, but you know, people have been talking about Joe Milton and Joe Milton and Joe Milton. I mean, he's he's a physical specimen. I, I was trying to think who he reminds me of, and I have to go way back to, to Tyrone Wheatley in, in the early 90s, Michigan's a great running back, just physically he looks similar, just very he's big and strong, and he's got a cannon for an arm. And and now he's going to be competing with Cade McNamara, and a guy no one's really talked much about it, so it's his quarterback coach, jordan palmer uh, friday and and he he said kate's got everything he's got confidence he's he's got the weapons too but but joe milton is is definitely the front runner and uh listening to the receivers talk about him he's really worked on developing touch i mean you can't throw 100 miles an hour every throw and, and i think he realizes that and and the receiver said he's really done a good job with that in this offseason
1: Last year, I think I, my numbers have them 77th in the country running the ball. they gotta, they got to be better than that if they want to be at the top of the, the ladder in this league, don't they?
8: Oh, you're, you're absolutely right, Greg. And, and you really, this time last year, well, I mean – preseason to 2019, they didn't even have a back who had any experience. I mean, Chris Evans was was the heir apparent. He was going to be coming in, be the starter, take over for Karan Higdon, and Chris Evans was suspended by the university for, for a year for an academic issue. He's back. Now they've got Zach Charbonnet, who set a, a freshman touchdown record for Michigan last year, and he was dealing with some knee issues. He had that, that, um, that surgery procedure. Right when he got there as an early enrollee last January, so he struggled a little bit with that, but he's apparently 100%. They've got Hassan Haskins, a guy who's sort of he's been a linebacker, he's he's been a running back all last season, so they've got experience. They've got a freshman Blake Corum that everyone just raves about his speed and thinks he can contribute, if not in the running game, in the running back room, uh, certainly in special teams. So they feel really they feel like this could be a strength of of their offense, that running back room, which really wasn't last year.
1: But to do that, you better be able to block it up front. A lot of new faces right up there for Coach Warner to try to piece that thing together.
8: Well, that's—I thought that was a bigger storyline coming into this season than quarterback. I thought either way, yeah, you start a first time, you get a first time starter. But both guys were pretty talented, and and you're right, four starters now, and they they got it. They got a big boost when Jalen Mayfield, the right tackle last year, had opted out. He was projected to be a first round pick. He's back, and he's he's been able to start practicing, and so that's been a big, big boost for Ed Warner, and they feel like, you know, they've got a couple guys, Ryan Hayes and and Andrew Stuber, who missed all last season with a knee injury, they feel like those guys have made starts, and they don't feel like they're starting completely from scratch, but um, they feel really good about Andrew Vestardis taking over at center, he's a fifth-year senior. Um, he's he's a guy who's really worked hard in this off season to take over that role from Caesar Ruiz, I and mean, he's got big shoes to fill. But uh, they do they feel like, and I got to tell you, Greg, just from covering this team for so long, this is the first time I've seen offensive linemen across the board who remind me of those those old those older big Michigan offensive lines. So whether that translates in, into how skilled they're going to be, we don't know. But they do they look the part.
1: Again, visiting with Angelique Schengato so the Detroit news we're talking about Michigan on our around the Big Ten report here on sports Highly. let's get into the schedule the third edition of the Big Ten schedule for 2020 um, how does it lay out in your eyes for Michigan as they get into this thing here in a couple of weeks
8: well you know I hate doing I hate doing preseason predictions I really do and my boss makes me do them and' And I was looking, I was going game by game, and I, I came up with five and three. I mean, I you know, they've got Penn State at home, but Penn State's loaded. I don't think home field is going to be much of an advantage. Yeah. I, you know, even if you have 10,000 fans there, I still don't think it's that much of a home field advantage. So, you know, I think it's a tough way for them to open. I mean, they bookend their season on the road in Minnesota, and then they finish at Ohio State on December 12th. And uh, I think, you know, we'll certainly learn a lot from them that first game at Minnesota uh, but you know, got a couple of tough games at Michigan Stadium, at Wisconsin, and Penn State, and you know, I just I don't see them winning those games. But mainly because we haven't seen how Joe Milton plays in a game. I mean, yeah, he can he can throw as hard as he wants, but you, you've got to face a defense like a Penn State and on and on Ohio State, obviously at the end of the season. So you know, I, I it's I think this one's really hard to read. It's, it's you know, we just don't know that much about this offense. We know about it, but we haven't seen it.
1: No, I'm with you. As I look at that, I mean, those, the Wisconsin's not going to be a picnic and and neither's Penn State. And that should be a tremendous opener with Minnesota. That's, that is an interesting matchup in week one. I'm certainly going to try to be able to watch as much of that as I can. All right. Well, great to have you with us, Angelique. We'll probably bother you with our Big Ten Blitz as we get into this season. I'm just glad we're talking about X's and O's and, and we're not talking about what spring ball and all those type of things that were being thrown around a few months ago.
8: And parent protest, you know, we're, yeah. glad we're talking about football, and, and it's never bugging me. I look forward to this.
1: We're back. Sports Highly here on a Wednesday night. And on Wednesdays, Wednesdays we like to do a little check-in with a guy in the big leagues. He's our insider, Lane Grindle.
0: His voice will sound familiar.
7: And that ball's gone. Bye-bye baseball.
0: His knowledge is endless.
7: He looked
9: so fast. It was unbelievable.
0: He's our Major League Baseball insider.
1: Missed ate a
9: brownie, so I'm ready to go.
1: Lane Grindle. And coming to us tonight from Miller Park, where he's getting ready to be a part of the broadcast crew, is the Brewers in the playoffs. Getting ready to take on the Dodgers. Is that three straight years from Milwaukee in the playoffs? Is that right?
9: franchise record three straight years in the playoffs greg and um you know look this was a little unorthodox year and there were more teams that got in this year but nobody's complaining about that you're just trying to get into the dance and see
1: i gotta tell you i've i've really enjoyed the last two days it's just been kind of wall to wall watching baseball for me and i know it's driving a lot of people crazy because You know, baseball wants to make sure the regular season still means a lot, but I have really enjoyed these and knowing it's not a one game and done, that it is a series.
9: Yeah, I agree with you. First off, I think that there's been a a pretty strong movement within baseball and baseball people over the last couple of years to see the wild card round eventually get to a place where it's not just one game. Uh, Managers, coaches, players – I think most of them would prefer it's a best out of three. They understand that you got to put all those three games in at the higher seeds site, um, and that gives you some incentive to, to get that upper seed, obviously. But um, I, I just think it, it gives you a more true outcome. Anything can happen in one game in baseball. We all know that all too well. And I think to have the three-game series, it does make it a little bit more true. It makes it a little bit more honest. Now, whether or not we see the expanded field like this moving forward, I think that remains to be seen. I think there's a lot to be said for it. Um, I know some people that are traditionalists won't like that. Um, they didn't like the wild card, and I think we've seen that that worked. Um, yes, the, the 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 regular season needs to mean something. It's a 162 game regular season. It's it's a tremendous grind. It rewards depth. It rewards consistency. It rewards teams that can can weather the storm, so to speak, because almost every team goes through one at some point in the year. And if it's easier to get into the postseason, does all of that uh, and that journey mean as much? I get that argument. I totally understand it. But I think from a financial standpoint, it's good for baseball to have these extra games and to have this drama. Um, And that, unfortunately, is, is always a consideration. It has to be. And I think it's still appealing. Look, this has been a great day for baseball to have all these games going on. So many people during the day talking about it. Really reminds you a little bit of March Madness, Greg. Yeah. And I think it's very successful.
1: Let me go back a week. I mean, by the expanded playoffs, you had a lot more teams still jockeying for position on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, including the Brewers. What was that like, this kind of scoreboard watching for you guys over the last three days?
9: Well, you needed a calculus degree or something to a degree. I mean, normally you're kind of chasing one team in your division, maybe one other team for the wild card. And so you kind of know who you're cheering for, who you're cheering against, This was way more complicated than
5: that.
9: (laughs) And you're like, okay, now wait, what has to happen for us to get in? What do we have to do? Oh, just win? Okay, that's the easiest way to do it. Um, So it was really complicated. It was hard to know. Okay, oh, last night we were cheering for the Reds. Tonight we're not cheering for the Reds because they've (laughs) clinched. And now you know, the only way we can get this seed is if this happens. It it really was complicated, to be honest with you. But it was fun. And uh, it was exciting. It was kind of fun finishing our game on Sunday. And obviously, we lost, and it was a win-and-you're-in situation, so you're kind of def- deflated a little bit from that loss. And then, uh, bang, right up on our big board, immediately on our video board comes the Padres-Giants game, and we're, we're back locked in. We're watching that. Let's see if the Brewers can get in anyway. And we're celebrating as the Padres finished off the Giants. So uh, it was still just as much drama as ever. It was different. It was kind of strange at times, but it was still a lot of fun.
1: Again, visiting with our Major League Baseball insider, Lane Grindle, here on Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Got to ask you about today's Reds-Braves game. That was remarkable, 13 innings. The Reds missed out on a ton of opportunities, probably deserved to win the game, and yet the Braves pulled out in 13. Great drama today. Did you get to catch any of that one?
9: Yeah, I watched quite a bit of it. I didn't watch it from start to finish. I'm not sure how many people did, uh, to be honest (laughs) with you, other than the guys in the dugout so that was a that was a marathon yeah I did there was some, there was some questionable base running at times from the Reds in that one um but just great pitching uh, Max Fried is outstanding Trevor Bauer is outstanding he adds to the game with his personality as well and the bullpens clearly came in and, and did the job and Freddie Freeman uh gets the job done and there's a lot of argument for him to maybe be the NL MVP and um, I'm not sure that, that hurt today, uh, depending on where the votes, you know, how many guys have already voted or however that works, but I'm not a voter, so I don't know. But um, that, that was big because whoever wins that one, you, I mean, this is like a super regional, right, Greg? And yeah. so yeah. when you go extra innings of a super regional to bring it back to our college baseball fans, if you win an in extra innings, it's a big deal. If you lose an in extra innings, it's, it's tough because you burnt a lot of pitching and now you got to go win the next two. That makes it really hard. So, that was a really deflating I'm, – I'm using deflating a lot here tonight in this interview, but that had to be a very deflating loss for the Reds.
1: No no question. Trevor Bauer was special in the start for the Reds. And you're right, that's a great analogy that they've kind of brought the Super Regional to baseball this week with these wild card series is at one site playing three games in three days and the best team wins and moves on. This may be a tough one for you as a Brewers broadcast to say something nice, but I do have to ask you about the Cardinals – and they certainly had a lot of issues in August with the, the positive cases of, of COVID-19 and had to play so many doubleheaders. In a way, isn't it remarkable that they made the playoffs with what was ahead of them in the month of September?
9: Yeah, I think so. I, I really do. Uh, you wonder if it wasn't an expanded field where their mental state would have been early on, where it's like, oh, we have this big mountain to climb. We have all these games we got to play. And, you know, who knows if we can make this work and get into the postseason. But with those extra spots kind of dangling out there. And I know they ended up with the number two, two spot out of the central. But with those extra spots dangling out there, did that keep them engaged during some of those tougher days when they knew, oh, we got another doubleheader. Then one game tomorrow. Then a doubleheader after that. I think mentally to stay locked in, that had to be really challenging for these guys. And credit to them. They did it. You're right. Um, you know, uh, their arrival, and uh, you never enjoy losing to them. And obviously, they won on Sunday, and that was tough to take for the Brewers. But um, I, I am impressed. I, I kept waiting for them to fall apart, and there mm-hmm. were some different moments over the course of the season where I thought, okay, here it comes. And then they would kind of bounce back and get themselves righted again. And, and a lot of credit to Mike Schilt uh, and the job that his staff did managing that whole situation.
1: Yeah, they're trying to hang on in Game One of their series with the Padres, up six four in the eighth. But the Padres are threatening. Lan, I got to ask you about the Twins. The, to me, this is mind blowing that the Twins have lost eighteen consecutive playoff games in the sport of baseball. And then to get in the playoffs, you got to be a pretty good team. I, I just can't fathom that that has happened to that organization.
9: Yeah, there's, there's a. Uh, uh, it's, it's really hard to explain. To be honest with you, Greg, uh, I can't explain it you're right in baseball especially I mean look at the Marlins I, the Marlins are much better and they've added some talent to that roster and everything else but they've also caught just the right 60 game little window <laughs> and and they've and, and, you know and they've and, and it's worked for them but I don't know if over 162 this Marlins team was going to be a postseason team right? Um, baseball's strange and so things happen in over 18 games the fact that they haven't won one, it blows my mind. Now, have they had that big-time stud ace? Not necessarily in that stretch have they had that. I mean, they really haven't had that since Johan Santana, right? I mean, I, I'm, maybe I'm missing somebody in there, but I don't feel like they've had that guy since Santana. Um, They've had really good teams. They've got a great lineup. They keep running into the Yankees. This year they were finally like, oh great, we don't get the Yankees. Oh, here's an underachieving Astros team with a chip on their shoulder. That's wonderful. Um, I'm sure they didn't love that draw either because everybody looks at the Astros with an under 500 record, but you know what? They're still pretty dangerous and they proved that in that series. It's hard to explain. And when it's 18 games, no matter who the guys in the dugout or in the clubhouse are, no matter who the manager is, uh, you're hearing about it, and you're thinking about it, and it, it's it's kind of a, a, a thing that's hanging over your head a little bit. And I, I'm I'm shocked they didn't win one of those games. And, and obviously yesterday's game was a really competitive one. Today was too. And the Astros came up with the hits when they needed to to come away with those wins. But um, you just got to wonder mentally if, if this isn't one of those things that's hanging over their heads a little bit. And I, they're going to be good for a while. They have some good young players. I like the young catcher. Um, I think that the Jeffers kid's going to be really good. Obviously, Sano's still young. Buxton's starting to really come into his own. They've got some young arms I like. I I think that the the Twins are going to be around for a while. Rosario's great. Polanco's a great shortstop. But um, eventually, they'll get this thing figured out. But, um, yeah, Mm -hmm. never in my wildest dreams, I think that streak was going to continue today
1: it's one of the most amazing streaks i've ever heard in sports it's just crazy. All right, let's uh the brewers big task ahead of, of them with the dodgers who everybody's kind of crowned already as the champions of this thing. And tough news on on your rookie bullpen right, right-hander, is Whit Williams is not on the list for the playoffs, is he?
9: No, and i got a chance to talk to him a couple of hours after the news came out. Uh, we did a one-on-one interview and he's he's really down. He's really disappointed. Um, he's having as good a year as I think any reliever's ever had. Um, it's always going to be hard to quantify it over 162 because it's different to be great for 60 than 162, obviously. But he gave up one earned run all year, Greg. He had more swing and miss on that changeup than anything I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's it was the best pitch in baseball. He had been downright dominant. He was averaging two strikeouts an inning. I mean, he was. he's the reliever of the year in the National League. I'll be shocked if he doesn't win that. And I think he's the NL Rookie of the Year. Now, that's a little different competition because Dustin May's in there. Um, Jake Cronenworth is a guy that is getting some conversation for that. I don't think he's going to win it. But um, that's going to be an interesting battle there. But I, I, I think Devin has as strong an argument as anybody. So that's a huge loss for us. He does think that he could be back by the NLDS if the Brewers could pull off the upset in this series and advance that's really encouraging news it's just a little bit of right shoulder soreness it's nothing structural that they fear so that's good news but uh he's a big-time weapon for the brewers at the back of that bullpen and just puts a little little bit more pressure on josh Hader in this series now because the uh, the odds are pretty good that if the brewers are in position to win a game they're going to have to ask him to go get him five six seven outs depending on the situation and that's asking a lot out of a reliever. But in these situations, a lot of times that's what you have to do. Maybe a guy like Corey Knebel is ready. You know, he's coming back from Tommy John. He hasn't been used in high leverage, but he's done that a lot in his career. And he was absolutely brilliant in the 2018 postseason. Maybe somebody like Corey Knebel is uh, ready to, to kind of step up in the absence of Devin Williams. We'll see.
1: Very good. First pitch in a little, about an hour and a half. Uh, the Brewers will be having it on their network. All right. Last thing, uh, since we talked to you last Wednesday, we've learned of the retirement of Alex Gordon. How are you going to remember the former Cornhusker in Kansas City Royal?
9: Well, I will remember Alex. Um, this is this. I, I don't like doing this because I'm going to make this really personal, and it has not. Like Alex doesn't know who I am, so, <laughs> so I want to clarify <laughs> this. But I have two moments with Alex that kind of coincide with big moments in my career. And so, I mean, I, I've i always had this, this baseball crush on Alex Gordon, if you will, because the first thing I ever did in radio was get sent to an Alex Gordon baseball game in the Nebraska State High School baseball tournament and covered every single at bat that he made and called into the radio station and gave updates after each Alex Gordon at bat. That was the first thing I ever did in radio, my first assignment. And so I was always curious to see what was going to become of Alex Gordon from that moment forward. And, of course, we know he went to Nebraska, had a brilliant career, had a chance to see him in the College World Series. And then, of course, he gets drafted by the Royals. And it's no secret I grew up a pretty big Royals fan. And he's supposed to be the next George Brett and everything else. But then he started coming around the program a lot, uh, the Nebraska program. And we got a chance to be around him a little bit, Greg. And the day that I got the email from the Brewers to interview for this job, was the day you and I were hosting a signing day show for Nebraska football uh, at Memorial Stadium. And Alex was there and I did a one-on-one with him out in the lobby. And as I was doing the one-on-one with him, my phone buzzed and I checked my email. And I think I then came and ran and showed you shortly after, but it was an email from the Brewers asking me to interview for this job. And it basically happened at the moment I was interviewing Alex Gordon. So those are like just these weird big moments in my career And Alex Gordon had something to do with him in a really unrelated way. But he was an amazing player. I think the way he played the game. I mean, I've always said, the moment my son was born, I gave him, um, I I wore an Alex Gordon t-shirt to the day that he was, you know, to his birth. And I remember holding him in my arms and telling him, there's this guy named Alex Gordon, he's on my shirt, and I want you to play baseball someday, and I want you to play it the way he plays it, because he plays the game the right way. He hustles. He does the little things. He takes care of his body. I want you to, to play the game like him and respect the game like he, do, like he does. And I tell my son about Alex Gordon all the time. He won't really get to remember watching him play, but he'll, he, he knows how to use YouTube. So he'll, he'll probably see plenty of outfield assists on the highlight reel over the years.
1: Good stuff. All right, go we'll get ready for your, your game tonight. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk again next week.
9: Absolutely. Thanks, Greg.
1: Let's get into this week's edition of Buy, Sell. It's time
0: to buy or sell. Buy, sell is brought to you by Famous Dave's. Your perfect catering choice for business lunches, meetings, weddings, parties, and more. Treat your guests to authentic smoked daily barbecue, made from scratch sides, and award-winning desserts. Famous Dave's. We do catering right. Now here's the host of Buy or Sell, Josh Hilko. and Austin Orman.
10: Well, here we are, and I think you guys will appreciate this. We started this season of Buy, Sell, Anew with the Everybody Plays edition, and we started it with, you know, we kind of have rotated who gets to collect the questions for the week, make sure everything's working. I started out, and it's back to me. It's background to me. So this is the seventh time that we've played this version of Buy or Sell.
2: Where did One that go? spin all the way around.
10: Yep, that's right. Hopefully, this is the first of many.
2: Josh, how are you feeling, man? I mean, it's a, not great. Were, were you were you pretty hacked off today, or like, what did you expect before the game started? I suppose. I obviously, I was a, I'm a pessimist when it comes
10: to sports, so I was obviously expecting the worst. Um, and yeah, that to keep it short, I I told Austin this earlier. I was looking up some stats and. The the stat was basically that the Twins in pu- in that 18 game stretch where they've lost all these games, they have been just absolutely awful in the last se- in the seventh inning on of those games, and I could have told you that without looking at the stats, but they've been outscored by just an absurd amount of runs. So whenever it gets to the seventh inning and later, I could just feel it coming on. So what what uh how much worse does it make it that it was the Astros? Uh, I honestly, or, it, or it, does it not even matter? It would have been worse if it was the Yankees, I think. But other than that, like I honestly don't care. But it's been the Yankees almost every other game. Like it's, yeah. I think it's twelve out of the eighteen have, or Ouch. thirteen out of the eighteen have been the Yankees. So, not great, not great. But maybe next year. I, and before we get into the answers from this week, and we have a lot. I, one more. Th- I kind of like to give a little stat from this these analytics that we've been doing since everybody's asking the questions. We have an
2: analysis team now on buy sell, hired just for buy sell purposes. Exactly. So. Uh, I didn't o- think that was in the budget, but that's well, okay. yeah, we found it. <laughs> we found it. We scraped it. it
10: together. So looking at how everybody does on their own questions, Ben, you are the only one who is answering your own questions above 50%. Now everybody's above 50% that? on your ah. questions, but. You're at 72%. Greg, you're answering your own questions at 41%. I'm at 42% on my own questions. Brett is at 44%. Austin is at a paltry 14%. Austin! One of seven on on his own questions, and Tim is 44% on his own questions. Austin,
2: come on. Okay, let's hear it.
10: It just goes to show you, though.
11: It's hard. I, you know, I'm trying, trying to set interesting line. and just getting a little too cute with it. I just <laughs> got to go back to the basics moving forward here, and uh, everyone plays season two. I think that's the adjustment.
10: Yeah, just go opposite of what you think is going to happen on yeah. your You'd own You'd be questions.
2: batting
10: what, 86% if that was the case? Yeah. so would be getting sent back to the minors is what he'd be getting.
11: <laughs> <laughs> I'm quad A on my own questions right now. <laughs>
10: Uh, all right. Well, without further ado, let's get into some answers, and we have plenty that came from before last week. This one from August nineteenth. It was a great question about Major League Baseball, and Greg asked by herself that Charlie Blackman would finish the regular season with a 400 or better batting average. That was a sell. He plummeted all the way down to a 303 batting average. Now he all of, all of us sold it except for Tim. So all of us but oh, Tim got this him. one right. Come Sorry, on, Tim. Dude. <laughs> It's That's almost easy too easy, cell. isn't it? I, it is, yeah. Oh Tim, 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 Tim. Tim, what
2: are you doing, dude? I don't know what he was doing. Punting away a free question is what yeah. he's
10: doing.
11: That's true. <laughs> the second answer is also an MLB question from August the 19th from Brett, though. Brett asked, buy or sell that Kenta Maeda pitches into the ninth inning in at least one more time in the remainder of the 2020 regular season? The correct answer it was a sell. Mr. Maeda only made it through seven in his longest start. Everyone was right on that one. Everyone sold, even, wow. even, even Tim. Even Tim. Okay, yes. Tim.
2: I see you, Tim. Uh, yeah, <laughs> pitch count's just a problem with that dude. Josh could tell you yeah. that. He just he just has a hard time yeah. controlling that thing.
10: Yeah, he he pitched great yesterday in Game One of the yeah. Of the hey, series, he had a good but- year. Yep, exactly. All right, uh, another answer from Greg, another MLB question, this one from September 9th. Buyers sell that both wild cards in Major League Baseball would be decided by one game or less, the eight spot over the nine. The answer was a sell. The NL was. In fact, it was a tiebreaker scenario in the NL, but the AL was a five-game spread between Toronto and Seattle, so that one was not close. So Greg, myself, Austin, and Tim all sold it and were right. Ben and Brett were wrong with a buy. Ben.
2: Yeah,
11: it was close at the time, but it I should was. have known
2: it was going to separate.
10: Yeah.
11: All right, now from September 16th, we go to the National Basketball Association. Brett asked if we would buy or sell that Kemba Walker would average at least 18.5 points per game in the rest of the Eastern Conference semis with Miami, or that Kemba would have a 30-plus point game in the remainder of of the playoffs there were three Kemba believers in this group it was ben brett and myself we bought and were correct greg josh and tim sold and were incorrect I, what I did he what you
2: did he do sell kemba on he anything he
11: ended ever. up at 19.8 points per game
1: okay. just, that was it he line. didn't get 30 he didn't get 30 he did not have a 30 point game the most
11: he had in
10: a game was 23 actually so and
1: now now he's on his couch so that's good just
10: just the just
2: the epitome of consistency right there a true warrior Solid. Let's go play for a new team next year so I can ro- actually wow. – I had such a hard time rooting for Boston in the playoffs. I, I really did. Yeah, I can I can see that. All right. Uh, up
10: next, we have another Greg – we have a lot of Greg answers tonight. So this one also from Major League Baseball, September 16th, another week later. By our that the White Sox would end up having the one seed in the American League. That was a sell. The Rays were actually the one seed. The White Sox fell all the way down to the seven seed, finished third yeah. in the AL Central. And, Greg, you and Austin were actually the only ones to get it wrong with a buy. The rest of us sold it and got it right. They tanked. Yep. They sure did. (laughs) And it looked like, at that point, they were just on fire. And it it seemed like they could cruise into the finish line with
11: the AL Central win. As Luis Robert went, so the White Sox went. Yes. Yep. We have another baseball question from the 16th, this time from Ben, who asked, us: it buy or sell that Christian Yelich has another three-hit game and that the Brewers scored at least 12 runs in a game before the end of the season? The correct answer was a sell. yelly only got up to two hits against the Royals on the 18th. That same day was also the time the Brewers scored the most runs the remainder of the season with nine. Imagine this: the only person that bought it was Tim. He was incorrect. The rest of the sold were right.
2: (laughs) 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 Oh, how about that one-three hit game for the MVP? Yeah, terrible year. year. Not great. Not
10: great at all. Alright, well, we're caught up now to last week's questions, and we have a lot of answers from last week too. And we start it with an Austin one from the Sports Nightly Fantasy Football League. By yourself, that the average margin of victory in this week's Sports Nightly Fantasy Football League would be twenty-five points or more. The answer was a buy. 29.6 oh, was the average margin of victory. Wildly. There were some close ones. Yeah, there were some close ones. There were also a couple of blows. A couple a, of really not close ones. There was a 60.1. I
2: can't remember who. Did Tim lose those, by 100 but. again this week? Mm. He won by like four. Yeah, it was a close. Yeah, because Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown just completely fell apart. So the, there were only
10: two that bought it and got it right. That would be Ben and Brett. So congrats Woo! to those two. Man. Love it. I, I, I appreciate the innovation. I wasn't on the show last week, but I appreciate Austin going with a sports nightly fantasy football league question. That was good. Cool.
11: I felt I felt like the line was pretty fair, too, and only four, almost five points. above it. I feel that's a pretty acceptable, yes. acceptable margin you, of most, error.
2: Most competitive fantasy football league on the planet. That's true.
11: Maybe in the universe. More research Maybe. needed.
2: Pump the brakes. <laughs>
11: All right, second question from last week that we have an answer to was an NBA question from Brett. He asked, buy or sell that Nuggets guard Jamal Murray hits a go-ahead shot with under two minutes left in nope. any of the Western Conference Finals games from that point on. The correct answer was a sell because the Nuggets didn't have a lead in the last two minutes <laughs> of either of the last two games. Come on, Jamal. Of the series. <laughs> Greg and Ben and I all sold it and were correct. The other three producers were wrong with a buy. Boo.
10: Good job, guys. Yep. Uh, this next one was a Greg college football question by ourselves that one of the SEC teams ranked in the top 20 would lose this past weekend. It was a bye, and it wasn't really probably one you would have guessed. It was number six LSU losing to Mississippi State. Uh, Greg, myself, and Brett all got it right with a bye. Now, Greg and Brett predicted that it would be South Carolina, but yeah. that was not what ended up happening. So. But the rest of you guys, Ben, Austin, and Tim, sold it and got it and were I wrong. Did.
11: So. I'm not mad about it, though. Eating no. LSU. <laughs> right. Agreed. All right. So we stick in college football here. A Ben question. This one uh, got a little confusing last week with all <laughs> the parameters, but it's made up on the fly. So still a good question, nonetheless. Ben, you asked us if we would buy or sell that Spencer Rattler completed 80% of his passes or more or that he would have at least 290 passing yards <laughs> or four total <laughs> touchdowns. First triple or question. Ugh. First one in show history ends Probably up a bye. He only completed 73% of his passes, <laughs> but he did throw for 387 yards and four scores, in addition a game-sealing interception. So everyone bobbed yes. it and was correct.
1: Did the, the completion percentage count the ones he threw to the Wildcats? Oh, that Whoa,
11: that might have been 80%. Was... You're right. That's How about
2: good, the fact that uh, <laughs> he he barely made it with that fourth touchdown, but the yardage was way over, yeah. way over, way over. How many of us got that right again? Everyone of us, hey
10: everybody, even ten.
1: Oh yeah, it was a question. Was so oh! bad question.
10: Oh,
2: hey. I get my questions right. That's all I'm about. Seventy two percent, baby. I wouldn't know. Everybody else is at (laughs) everybody else is there too on that percentage. Uh, (laughs) I'm actually the
10: one that's doing the worst on your questions, Ben. I'm at sixty three percent. Everybody else well, actually Tim's (laughs) at fifty four, but yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of Tim, he uh, had an NHL question, but that'll be the last NHL question he'll have for a while. Buy or sell that they're (laughs) Would be at least 55 combined saves in last Wednesday night's Stanley Cup Finals game between the Stars and the Lightning. The answer is a sell. They came up with 49 saves between those two teams. There are only two of us that sold it, Greg and myself. The rest of you guys were wrong.
2: Well, it's not not our fault the Stars couldn't save a dang puck. I think the Lightning scored like six goals. So thanks a lot, Hudobin, for... Letting all those pucks by, not getting any saves for us. Yeah.
1: So, Mr. NHL Tim didn't get it right. He didn't.
10: What's he gonna do now? I I, I know the answer to that. He this, could probably do off-season NHL questions. That's true. He could do know, a future question, this, question for that, next this year. free
2: agent signs by October twelfth or something like. That. Yeah, there are options open. I guess.
11: Just a rough question for Tim. Loses the question and loses the series. Just Yeah. yeah. It's tough. That's a weird-looking sweep for the Stars. I've never seen a sweep that looked like that before. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. I don't think anyone has. Well, back to the NBA for Brett's next question. He asked, By sell that Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler combined for at least 18 points of the second half of last Wednesday's Eastern yes. Conference final matchup. Tatum had zero at the half. Butler had 11. The correct answer was a bye. Jason Tatum had 28 points himself (laughs) in the third quarter. Jimmy Butler added 13. So everyone took the over. Everyone bought and was correct.
10: Everybody, everybody. All right, Greg, you asked an NFL question last week by yourself that Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson would combine to score at least six touchdowns in their Monday night matchup. The answer a bye Mahomes had five. He did the heavy lifting. Jackson only had one, but that five plus one does equal six. And three of us got it right. It was Brett, Austin, and yours truly.
1: Wow! I got yeah. I didn't think it would quite get the six. Good line, huh? Great
11: line. Great line. Great Fantastic line. line.
10: You you fooled yourself, which is it seems did. to be
11: the trend, except for
10: Ben. Except <laughs> for me.
11: Well, Ben uh, didn't get his own question right on this next one. And I'll give you a teaser. Spoiler. There back to the NFL. Buy or sell that at least two 0-2 teams defeat 2-0 and teams last weekend. Those matchups were the Bears-Falcons, Titans-Vikings, Texans-Steelers, and Lions-Cardinals. The correct answer to that was a sell since there was only one winless team that topped an undefeated team. That was the Detroit Lions over the Arizona Cardinals. Greg, you and I sold it and were right. Everyone else yes. bought it. Yes!
2: Yes!
10: That was wow. shocking to me. Well, the Falcons' fault. Yeah. It, what were the other
2: ones? It was the
10: Texans Steelers the Titans. and Titans Vikings. That was also a close game. Yeah. Vikings could have won. They should have won. Yeah. Blew that one too.
1: What's what's my winning percentage on Ben's questions right now, Josh? You're
10: <laughs> it, This is good. It's you're 10 of 11, so 90.9% <laughs> on Ben's questions. You Keep coming, Ben. Keep <laughs> coming. <laughs> All right. Hey, so, I don't care about that percentage. There's one percentage I care well, about. Well, let's get to that right now. <laughs> Greg, you were ten of fourteen on the week. Ben, nine Solid. of fourteen. Uh, Brett, Austin, and myself were all ten of fourteen as well. And Tim, bringing up the rear at five of fourteen. Oh, <laughs> oh.
11: double the. ball. Oh, so man. So we may
10: need to give him a whole week off, boys. Ben, your two point lead uh, has dwindled down to one now. Thirty six to thirty five over Greg, and uh, Austin and myself are tied for third at thirty one of fifty six. Brad at 28 correct answers and Tim at 24 correct answers. So, Tim bringing up the rear. Man. (sighs) Tim hasn't had a piece of humble pie the last month. He's had like four humble (laughs) – whole humble pies. Yeah, that's true. All right. Uh, I'm going to start out with the questions this week since I was the one who collected them, and I'm going to start with a college football one. Buy or sell that at least two of the five favored teams in the Big 12 lose this weekend. So, here are the matchups for you. I have them ready. Texas is favored by 12 over TCU, Baylor by three over West Virginia, Oklahoma State by 21 over Kansas, K-State by two and a half over Texas Tech, and Oklahoma by seven over Iowa State. So do at least two of those five teams that are favored lose this weekend in the Big 12? And I'll give my answer first. I am going to buy. The Big 12 has been mayhem so far, so why not?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'll follow you up with that. I think I buy that as well. You're right; it just has been so unpredictable from week to week, and and COVID is part of that because some guys are getting held out, because and you don't really know that, and the the odds makers don't know that going into games. And I think with that uncertainty, yeah, I, I can see two two of the favorites going down. Sure.
5: Um,
2: two of the twelve, or two of the Big Twelve. Um, yep. There's a couple of big lines in there um right that I, that I know are probably gonna I, I like I don't see Texas losing to TCU they look or terrible the
10: Oklahoma week. State to Kansas so then you need yeah. two of the
2: other three to be upsets I think West Virginia could win I think Texas Tech could win um
10: I mean if they both do then that's a buy I'll take the I'll take the favorites Okay, will sell it. So you're selling. Yeah,
11: Austin. I'm with Ben on this, and I'm going to sell as well. Those Baylor-West Virginia and K-State-Texas Tech games, I think, are the two most likely candidates. But I think at least one of Baylor and Kansas State gets it done to keep it as a sell.
1: Okay, Greg, you're up next. Okay. All right, best game of the day in college football Saturday is Georgia-Auburn. Uh, these teams play every year. That's they're the crossover rivals. Do you buy or sell that the two teams combine to score more than 45 points? Mm. I'm going to sell. Mm. I think this is a defensive slugfest.
10: (sighs) I'll buy it. I'll be different on that one. No reason. Just feeling some points. I like – Ben always says he cheers for points, so – I'm usually of that mentality, too. Go points.
11: Cheering for points is one thing. Getting points is another. Given how future that Georgia offense looked last week, as good as that Georgia defense is as well, I'm going to have to sell. I don't think they hit it.
2: They get JT Daniel eligible. Yep. True. Think yeah. about – I think the line's the lines what, like 44 It's and
10: 44 half. and a half is what I last saw, yeah. So it's right around that. You just think about
1: all the combinations that, you know, 27 31-14. 20,
11: I mean, there's just yeah. a bunch of combinations. Yeah, 23-22 would be a buy.
10: Yeah. Well, it has to be more than 45. So basically – 24-21. 45-0. We could do this all day. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's more than 45, <laughs> so they got to get to 46
10: to buy it. Yeah, so that's even a point you know point and a half more than what this over-under is from Vegas. What do they know? So, yeah, so that's it true. Be, it has to be 46? <laughs> We're the experts. Yes, it has to be 46 or more, according to the terminology used.
11: At least 46. Ben, you're the last uh, one to yeah, answer. Yeah, I mean, here. I root
2: for points, so I'm taking the points. All right, bye. Over. <laughs> um, all right, so it's my turn, yeah? Sure. Go for it. Or no, it's Austin's turn. I mean, it doesn't matter, but... Go ahead, Austin. Go, Austin.
11: All right, so I'll go to the MLB playoffs. Ask you guys, buy or sell that American League teams hit more home runs in the postseason and that National League starting pitchers have a lower combined ERA than their AL counterparts. I'm going to buy it. I think the AL hits more home runs and the NL starting pitchers show out.
10: Just a clarification question... Is this is all the way through the World Series and games that started yesterday, the entirety Correct. of the postseason? Correct, the
11: entirety oh. of the postseason. Wow.
10: I think I'll buy it too. I, It makes sense in my mind that that, that is what would happen. Now, you don't have – the difference is, is that there's the DH and the NL, so that kind of would bring things together a little bit more, but I'll still go with a buy. If, you've, if you follow this game – for
1: the several years
10: we've played it, you know when I have
1: and questions, right. I sell. Yep, yeah, you yeah. do, and I and I will sell. Okay,
2: I am selling as well, and here's kind of my logic here. Um, there are a lot of really good National League pitchers that are not pitching right now, uh, that are out for injury reasons. Um, you know, you think about the Padres; they just wrapped up. No, Denelson Lamet. No, Mike Clevenger. Um, no Corbin Burns for Milwaukee. Uh, so th- those are some of the best. So those are, you know, so, so I think there are going to be some more home runs in the NL. And I think their ERAs are going to be higher. I'm doubting my answer right
10: now because Austin bought it and he is one of seven on his own question. So <laughs>
2: I just did the same thing
10: as See, him. See, so I, I'm, I I'm wanted sunk.
11: to sell. I was going to sell, but since uh, I have to go with the opposite, that's well, I have to buy.
2: So <sighs> I am selling. Because of that reason. There are a lot of really good National League pitchers that are out. I think that's going to hire the ERAs and hire the homers. All right. Ben, now it's your turn. You can go now. Okay. All right. Let's see if this is a a little more tricky for you, Greg. Tricky. Buy or sell that both Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers throw an interception after their team loses a game. Each of them have nine touchdowns and zero picks through three games. And zero (laughs) losses. Right. So undefeated teams. So Mahomes and Rogers first interception come after their team loses a game. So their first interception, not just an interception. Yes, their first interception. So I guess yeah. So they, they I can't guess throw be... an interception
11: in a loss.
2: Right. Or if they win a game. Like if like if Pat Mahomes, Patrick, I should say Patrick, if he throws a an interception and the Chiefs win, then it's a sell. But if you gotta intercep- have both you gotta have both guys do it. Both of them have to do it. I'm, what are you doing? Yeah, what ben? are you doing? I'm thinking. Can I um. answer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna sell it. I don't feel real confident about it, but I'm gonna sell it. So if you, I'm you gonna sell say you the, inter- s- the interception comes before the win. Right. That's before the loss, or before the loss, before, the loss. before yeah. the loss, the interception comes before the loss. Correct. So if they if they throw a
10: pick and they lose that game, then your The interception it. came no.
2: first. Right. Okay. Because the final gotcha. horn hadn't sounded yet. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I,
10: I'm selling too. I'm I'm on board with Ben on that one. Neither of them have thrown an interception through six combined R- games. Yeah. What if they don't sell in it or don't uh, throw an interception the rest of the season?
2: Then, and they go undefeated, and they go undefeated. And Then it bleeds into next year. All right.
11: <laughs> Initially, I thought this was an easy buy, but the more I listen, the more it seems like selling seems like. It's, it's a hell like of a, a question. It's
10: an unbelievable question, Ben. I think you're tricking all of us somehow. Galaxy
11: brained us. I'm yep. buying the
10: heat right now, by the way, up 10. Let's go. Let's go. Um,
11: I'll
10: just be there de- Everybody sold it, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody so sold far.
11: it.
1: Are you
10: sure you want to do that? You know the the tendency yeah, on Ben's that's questions.
1: A, that's a Tim.
11: I say you know Tim's move. gonna buy. So that is a Tim, Tim move. Or not.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll fall in line with you guys. Also, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. you took the bait. Yep, that's weak mindedness right there. All that's right. pure pressure. We have playing two, the
10: game. <laughs> playing the game to win. Two more questions this week, and the first one comes from Brett, and you just mentioned. The NBA final going on finals going on right now, Greg. So Brett asked, buy or sell that the Miami Heat would shoot at least two percent better than the Lakers from three point range in the first four games of the NBA finals. And I'll go first on this Hmm. one since I have already seen the question. I'm going to buy because I feel like there's a reason he asked the question. I'm guessing that they're better from three point land than the Lakers, so According to
11: the stats, in the regular season, Miami shot 37.5% from three. The Lakers, 35%. Oh, that's why he did it. put it right right on
10: the number. (laughs) Whoa. How about that?
1: Uh, Sneaky devil.
10: Yeah. (laughs) Brett knew what he was doing. He didn't just come up with the question off the top of his head like some of us do. He actually looked into it, researched it, and found it. That's what he did.
1: Great stuff. I, I just feel like they're a better three-point shooting team. I just have more guys that do it, so I'll buy it.
10: Okay. You're buying the heat? Yeah. Yes. Heat over the Lakers, 2% or better. Um,
2: No, I'm going Lakers. They're going to throw some water on that fire. All right. Boom. So, Austin?
11: See, four games is a long time. To shoot better than your opponent or four straight games. I think that's a big ask. The Heat didn't shoot it all that well against Boston at times. That's what helped Boston come back. So could they do it the first couple games? I think so. Is it going to be all four? I don't believe so. So I... We'll also douse a bucket of ice water on the heat and sell. Let's
2: do it, Austin. Let's All fill right. up our buckets, and let's head south to South Beach, and let's throw it on to heat. I am heat. already on
11: as my way, heat, muting my heat mic. Heat just drained
10: now. a three as you made long that it. I
11: love way it. To go, I baby. love it. Let's go.
2: Long way to
10: go. All right. So, Tim, last but not least, he does he switch it up from so. NHL? <laughs> he does. He's going to go with the French Open here. Buy or sell that Dominic Theme makes it to the final of the French Open.
2: Sell, sell. He hits a ball at somebody's throat and gets ejected.
11: Oh, that's that's Djokovic. Djoker is going to
2: fall in line.
1: And this is Nadal's tournament. Yeah, theme doesn't make the finals. It, it,
10: is he on the same side of the bracket as Nadal? I don't, I, they they don't are. Know. Yes, they are on the same yes. side. Well, then I'm get selling here,
2: that. Game.
11: Get out
10: of here. I was prepared no to chance, buy buddy. it. I was prepared to buy it, but no way
2: am I. pack up your that. rackets and head back to. Is he from France? Yeah. Sure. I guess friend. he doesn't have to head anywhere. He's home. French Open. It's, it,
1: it's hard. to. I mean, he just won the U.S. Open <laughs> two, week, two weeks ago. It's hard to get yourself kind of prepared and ready for yeah, a up tough. again.
11: Aust- Dominic Thiem yeah. is from Austria, so he's not Austria, far from okay. All
10: right. Yeah. Are you I, selling I, or buying
11: Austria? Well, I wanted to buy it. I wanted to pull for an upset, but I think it's dumb to <laughs> bet against Rafa on Clay. So, you know, I think I'll have to sell.
10: All right. Fair enough.
11: We know Tim's buying it. Yep. He's all over that one.
10: Good. That's it. All right. Well done.
1: We're back, Sports Nightly, here on a Wednesday night. We're ready for another one of our Husker Sports Network originals, a podcast, kind of a documentary style. Our last one was about the Tom Osborne offense, which was incredible. we got another great one that's going to come out in its full form tomorrow, and it's about the great history of Kent Pavelka going Husker sports. Here's a little snippet of what's in the full version.
2: Pavelka may have been best known for his work in the broadcast booth for football, but K.P. brought the same energy and passion courtside for the Nebraska basketball team as well. His interest in Husker hoops started at a young age.
12: I was kind of right in that age group where grade school and early junior high school was uh, before all the the mania hit, and then, you know, in junior high school and high school is when, uh, when all the success started to happen. But my interest in it, I th- I guess predated Devaney and predated, you know, I, I remember going to games where Jerry Bush was the basketball coach, you know, and um, I was there when I was there when Cassie Russell beat Nebraska or Nebraska beat Cassie Russell in an undefeated Michigan team in the, in the mid sixties. So, um, you know, the, the timing for me was that I grew up right when all this exploded and that just intensified my interest in in getting into this business, really.
5: Opening, he found it. He shot through, put it up and in for the layup. Sixty to fifty-five, Nebraska by five points.
7: Morningstar bounce pass right side, stolen by Bob Siegel. Here comes Bob down the court. Layup, up, it's good. Sixty-two to fifty-five, the Huskers go back out on top by seven points. And we'll have a timeout taken by Kansas. Listen to this crowd.
12: You know, since since I got to do Nebraska basketball from the get-go when I went to KFAB in 1974 and without interruption you know, I couldn't wait for basketball season to start. I mean, who wants to be second fiddle if you want to be a play-by-play guy, right? I, I appreciated being the color guy for Bremser, but that's not what I wanted to do, and so, you know, basketball was just as important to me, if not more important, because I got to do the games, and uh, I gave it my all, and you know, you can give it your all as a analyst or a color guy, but it really doesn't mean a whole lot, because you can't do the games.
7: Bo is handed the basketball, on the backcourt it comes to Buchanan, Buchanan, guarded there by Livingston, 13, 12, Buchanan across the line on the right side, pops out to Bo Reed, moving to the left side, 8, 7 seconds, 6 seconds, Bo hands it off to EJ, it's loose on the floor, Reed gets it, puts it up, left corner, Go! 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 the left to the game, it is unbelievable! 13 seconds to go, Smith to Downing. 10 seconds, Williams right side to Cloudy, 9, 8, 7, Williams left side to Downing, shoots it from 25, got it, it's good, Huskers will take a one point lead into the dressing room over Iona on a 25 footer by Greg Downing. And there's the horn, and Nebraska wins the 1996 National Invitation Tournament, knocking off Saint Joseph's of Pennsylvania, 60 to 56, what a special 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 moment this is in the history of nebraska basketball left elbow back door cut layup up and good by play off the pass from anderson we've got a two-point game at 45 to 43 duck sadler slicing and dicing the texas Longhorns. spencer brings it up on the dribble right side to richardson shoots a three got it it's good it's good richardson drains it it's 61 to 56 61 to 56 with 2.13 to go in the second overtime. Nebraska with a five point lead. So long Bob Devaney. After 37 years, it's all over in this arena and it could not have been a better or more perfect night. Five, four, three, two, one. The Huskers have done it. Nebraska knocks off Wisconsin. Final score 77 to 68. They're storming the floor. Bad play on the offensive end for Michigan State. And Shields with a steal. Took it away from Valentine. Shields all the way to the rack. Kicks it out. Three by McVay. Got it! Three ball! Jack McVay! Bang-a-ring! And the Huskers have tied the game at 56.
2: No broadcast would be complete without a color analyst. K.P. A former color man himself has had some good ones over the years including former husker matt davison now the current associate ad of nebraska football
13: i mean i remember you know driving around with my dad on the farm as a kid and listening to to games on the radio and and hearing kent i remember him in basketball first and you know clifford scales and i mean all these names that i remember him talking about bo reed i mean and uh so yeah for sure the guy was a legend i knew his voice when i was probably six years old or eight years old driving around with my parents my dad and the tractor or whatever listening to husker games
7: in the midcourt trey davis left side out a gordon on the elbow the handoff the esho double team comes in that was all ball bigs got all ball that's a terrible call
13: I remember sitting next to him, because there were hardly any fans there in Charleston, and he was all, it was uh, Ted Valentine. Got all ball. He was driving to to his right side, right by the top of the key, and looked like the help defense came, and they got Biggs with the reach. Biggs was
7: the help, came in with the right hand, and got the ball, and Esho's at the free throw line. And it's short, and the rebound off the miss, Nebraska. Smith's got
13: it. And <laughs> and, <laughs> and so you could hear everything. There's no fans there. It was a terrible call. Awful, just awful. And the guy's right in front of us. I'm like, he hears you, Kent. You know, he has ears. I don't think he likes you, Kent. I don't, I don't think that's going to help us get a call later in the game. I'll tell you that. Crossover, dribble, Biggs gives it up to Webster. Pump fake, drive,
7: spins in the lane, kick out. Rivers on the left elbow. Rivers backing
12: up. Are you going to blame this on me now? If, well, you're the one work that out? said
7: it.
13: <laughs> Who do you want to blame? The official. There's 50 people here. And the I, official can hear every word you're saying. I said. can't help how
7: loud I am. Here's Biggs driving the ball, spins in the lane, puts it up, can't finish. My apologies. <laughs> My apologies. And now he doesn't want to talk to me. Yeah, now he's mad at me, but I did apologize.
13: Look, he's the guy who just brings it every night.
1: There you go. What a snippet. That'll be fun to listen to. The full version drops where you hear your podcast tomorrow.